tonight? I feel a lot of joy in my heart. Are you guys joyful tonight? I just feel the delight of the Lord over me and over you guys. And I was actually, uh, my voice was actually really husky. Um, I know it's still kind of husky, it's actually unusual. But it was, that was a joke, but okay. Uh, anyways, all right, it was actually really bad. I actually couldn't really lead prayer. I couldn't really pray out loud because my throat was just like really bad. But then during praise, I just feel like I received healing. All of a sudden, these high notes were just coming out of my, my, you know, lungs, and I just could feel, oh, it's like orchestra anointing on me, you know? And I was just like freely singing, and I feel like my voice is completely back. This is my usual high tone, and I'm excited to preach with my strong voice. So it's gonna hurt your ears, but listen, alright, it's good, okay? The Lord has healed me, cause I was gonna preach like Jesus, and, uh, you know, this is great. Uh, that's my testimony right there, okay? Uh, for exchange students, how many one semester exchange students are here in this room? Raise your hand if that's you. Oh, whoa. Okay, some of you, you guys are getting ready to go home soon, right? Wrapping up finals, time is already, it's already or only, but already been three months and a little bit over, right? The journey, has that been good? I hope that's been good, right? Uh, getting to know you guys was awesome, and it's already, we're coming to a close. You know, this is our joint, final joint large group, right? Uh, for some one years, is there one years in the room? Ooh, one years who's been with us for second semester right now, right? And also there are some four years, four years, raise your hands, come on. You guys been with us through thick and thin, and uh, that's great, right? For, you know, all of us, our time with Emmaus is kind of limited, whether that's one semester or whether that is four, maybe five years, right? But uh, it's all for us the same that this semester, God is doing something. Each semester, God is moving. You know, each season, God has different things that he does. And I really hope that all of us can say that this fall semester of 2017, God has done something. You have experienced him in a new way. You have gotten to know him better. Or you understand his heart more. And I really, if I could hear that from every single student, man, our, our ministry is a success. Like, I'll be happy with what I do with my life, you know? And so I don't know how your experience was with the mayors. You know, some of you are getting ready to go home, but the journey doesn't end when Korea chapter ends. You know, I know some of you are kind of scared to go back home. Oh, I don't really have a small group like I have in Korea. You know, all these experiences are great, but my home church is very different. Maybe your home church is better. Who knows, right? But a lot of changes and transitions are coming. And I just want to say that don't treat Emmaus or this semester or this year as just a chapter. And like an episode. Oh, yeah, that happened in Korea. Yeah, God did that in Korea. But I'm back to my normal life type of thinking. I want you to have a journey mindset, right? Our ministry name, Emmaus, you know where it comes from? It comes from Luke chapter 24, where two disciples of Jesus, right after he died and he was buried, they were on a journey to a city called Emmaus. That's why we call it Road to Emmaus, right? But a lot of scholars actually say that they were bouncing out because they were disappointed because Jesus died. And they thought, oh, he was going to, you know, save Israel. But then he died and he's gone and they were confused. So they're like bouncing out to Emmaus. And on the way to Emmaus, who do, who do they encounter? Jesus, but he concealed his identity, right? But Jesus like pops up 
and then say, hey guys, what's going on in Jerusalem? And these guys are giving him summary. Oh, you don't know. Are you new to Jerusalem? Everybody knows what happened. There was this guy named Jesus. He was mighty in acts and words and blah, blah, blah. But he died. We thought he was going to save us. Ah! Give us an update, right? And then they reach Emmaus together and then they stay with him and Jesus breaks the bread with them. That's when their eyes are open. Oh, we're actually, we've been talking to Jesus the entire time. We are breaking bread with Jesus. That's when they realize, oh my goodness, he's been with us, right? And then he vanishes from their sight. I don't know what that means, like magic. I don't know, right? But Jesus vanishes on them. And all of a sudden they realize, and then what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. They go back and tell other disciples that, what, what Simon saw, the resurrected Jesus is real. Hey, he is actually alive. We encountered him. We saw him. We experienced him. He opened the scripture to us. Our hearts are burning. You know, all of a sudden, these, these disciples, on the way to Emmaus, they knew who Jesus was. They heard about his deeds. You know, they had knowledge of what happened to him. However, until they journeyed with him and sat down and fellowshiped and break, broke bread with him, they didn't really know Jesus. They knew about him, but then it was this journey to Emmaus where they got to know him. And then after they knew him, they were changed and came back to Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? Where is it? Texas? Malaysia? Hong Kong? Singapore, I don't know. <laughs> Where's your Jerusalem? But you guys are on the way back to Jerusalem, where you came from, right? I don't know what you expected in Korea. Maybe you had no idea that you were going to get involved with Christian ministry. Maybe you had no idea you were going to find a church like New Philly. Or maybe you had no idea. Maybe you just came here to party or go to K-pop concerts or eat tteokbokki all the time. I don't know what you expected, right? But I'm certain that God is the one that brought you and walked with you to that journey to Emmaus. He's bringing you back home back to jerusalem right and so i really really pray that that you know that this is not an end you know this is continuation the journey doesn't stop the one that chose you the one that started this journey with you will continue it until it's full fruition amen so wherever you're going back to just know that god is bigger than your locations and circumstances amen all right, that is not my sermon at all, okay? Uh, <laughs> when I, today, tonight, I have a really, really simple word, okay? When I first believed in Jesus Christ, uh, I heard about him for the first time at ni- age 19, okay? That was my, I mean, I, of course, knew about the name Jesus. However, I never really heard the full gospel before. I was a freshman in college. Uh, when I said that I would believe in Jesus Christ, I didn't really know what that meant. Not a lot of people understand what that means. That's why they pray that, okay? It was spring of 2005, and I'm, I'm certain none of us really knew what that fully meant. I was discovering that there was a creator God. See, I didn't even know. I thought things were just there. But I was discovering, oh, there's this God who made everything and who made me and designed me and who knows me. And all these things were boggling my mind, you know. What? I'm 19, my first time thinking about my creator, my father. What? I have another father? I feel bad for my dad. That's exactly how I thought, okay? But I have a father. And all these things were just like bombarding my mind. However... God's leading was very clear, and after only a month of hearing the gospel story, I gave my life to Jesus. 
I prayed that prayer, right? Uh, it was my 19th birthday in a dorm room. I shared this before. My roommate prepared a choco pie cake, right? She was waiting for me in my dorm room. She was my roommate that God sent me, I believe. I mean, Ihua sent me, but really God, right? She was waiting for hours, right? Because I came home really late after, you know? And, uh, you know, so I came home late. <laughs> and then my roommate was just waiting in the dark for hours with the choco pie cake. And then she lit it all up and then sang happy birthday. And then when we sat down, she pulled out a gospel track out of her pocket. And she goes... And this is my birthday gift for you for spiritual laws. It, you know, the first spiritual law th- th- from CCC. Anyways, a gospel track. And she shared that page by page with me. I sat there. Smile came to my face. And my heart was already ready. I am ready to believe in this Jesus, right? But really, I didn't know what I was doing, okay? But I believed. And I made that promise. I made that commitment. I said the statement. I give my life to Jesus, I didn't know how believing in Jesus Christ would change my life. I honestly had no idea. Immediately, but also gradually. Of course, the moment you give your life to Christ, there's a spiritual transaction that happens. Your life and your righteousness, self-righteousness, all your good acts, it measures up to nothing. But the moment you put your faith in Christ Jesus, His righteousness becomes yours. Did you know that the moment you confess the lordship of Jesus, you go from bound for hell to a child of God. The moment you believe, you go from condemnation and death and forever eternal damnation to God's blessings, his presence, and you are an adopted child of God. That transaction happens right at that moment. Immediate change is real. However, the impact of the gospel, how that gospel and how knowing Jesus changes you, it's a journey of day by day. Oh, you're naive if you think that, oh, I prayed the prayer, I'm done. Right? And on my ID, he says I'm a Christian. I mean, we don't have religions on our IDs, right? On our profiles, whatever. Oh, I'm a Christian because I prayed the prayer uh, 18 years ago and I am one. But no, it doesn't work like that, right? And so I really didn't know how much Jesus would change my life. But I can say confidently, he has changed everything in my life. And I say everything. And tonight, I'm going to tell you that he's meant to change everything about you and in you. Okay? Really simple, right? I'm not saying I'm regretting. Okay? That decision was a good decision. You know, though I didn't really know what I was doing, that decision has changed my life forever for the good. And I'm never regretful about that. And I hope you're not regretting that statement, okay? What was your prayer when you first received Christ? Who led you? How did you pray? What was that statement, right? The common ones. We'll look at just two phrases. Usually, the one that I prayed, I give my life to Jesus. Common one, right? Second, I think this is the most common phrase, actually. I received Jesus as my... Lord and Savior. Thank you very much. Everybody knows, right? I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Tonight's title is Lord and Savior. Everyone say Lord and Savior. So let's look at what these phrases really mean, okay? Not as a cliche, not as just a Christian phrase to say, but what do they actually mean? What the heck did I pray when I knew nothing, right? Giving my life to Jesus. Isn't that scary? Giving my life to Jesus, meaning it's no longer mine. Right? 
transferring my ownership to someone else. It's like you have a house. It used to be your house. Now you give the ownership to God, right? On the paper, it says it's now God's house. Giving up my rights and handing it to God. All of my rights to do this, do that, whatever. Giving it all to God. That is what it means to give your life. Different commitments we make bring changes into our lives. Being in a relationship with someone will change your life. I'm not sure how that works, but I heard, right? <laughs> Friends, having different friend groups, it changes, brings changes into your life. Having a pet brings changes to your life. You know that? You gotta walk that dog every day. You gotta feed that dog three times a day. I don't know, right? It brings changes to your life. Having certain circle of friends bring changes to your life. I heard getting married and having children bring greater changes to your life, right? None of us know what that means, but you know, it's like irrevocable changes to your life. Obviously, right? But none of these decisions will affect us like receiving Christ will change our lives. And I think I can say that confidently. Uh, heard from many people. And, okay, I'll leave it at that, okay? I'll find out later. Said. But the truth about this is, we willfully gave our lives to God. Is that true? Is that true? You say, I give my life to Jesus. That is a choice, right? I give it to Jesus, so we willfully gave it to him. He, therefore, rightfully owns every corner of our hearts. Is that true? You gave the house to him. Every room that belongs to the house belongs to who? To God. Is it possible that the house ownership of the house changed, but certain rooms still belong to you? Does that make sense? If you sold the house, you sold the house. Oh, the backyard is still mine, or the attic is still mine. It doesn't work like that. It changed. Ownership changed to God. Therefore, everything in the house belongs to God. You with me? Right? So the ownership changed. You willfully gave everything, so he rightfully owns you entirely. Every corner of your heart. Every ugly, like the attics or the little rooms that you put all the ugly stuff in, you shut the door and you never open, probably full of moles and like, cockroaches or whatever, right? You all have those corners. You know, my desk is that, right? <laughs> my desk is a pile of just mystery. And, and you never know what's in there until I move, okay? <laughs> and I finally look through things. But like everyone has a corner like that, like a little closet, you know, where you shove everything and you just shut the door and you never open it, right? Even that dirty closet belongs to the house owner. It belongs to God. You willfully gave it to God. He rightfully owns that place, Amen. Every chapter of your life belongs to God. A chapter in Korea, a chapter back in home, a chapter of whatever, whatever, singlehood, relationship, engagement, marriage, and until you die, every chapter rightfully belongs to God. Yes? Your dating life belongs to God. Who says amen to that? Oh, that, that complicates a lot of things, y'all, okay? <laughs> know what you're saying amen to, okay? <laughs> your dating life belongs to God. Your friendships belong to God, right? Your finances belong to God. Oh, this, oh, you said amen. I'll remember that, okay? <laughs> all right, your finances, your friendships, all these little areas of life all rightfully belong to God because we gave it to him. That's what we mean by I give my life to Jesus. Receiving Jesus as my Lord Oh my goodness, this sentence is 
big sentence. It means that I move away from the driving wheel. I move away from the control room. I move away from my throne. And let me remind you, there's only one throne. There's only one control room. There's only one handle, okay? Uh, that means I'm going to move away because the, the throne isn't empty. It was always taken, okay? It was taken by... It was actually taken by me. It's, it's all you, okay? You used to sit there. That was your throne. That was your little kingdom, okay? I rule, you know, I do whatever I want to do. You know, I put whatever, you know. I, I rule this area. My life is mine. Your life used to be yours. And you used to rule that place completely. And now you need to move away from that chair and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, can I just put a little chair next to him and sit there and rule together? It doesn't work like that, right? When you move away, you move out of the way, you know? And different people say that, you know, who used to sit on that throne? Money, fame, popularity, or sex, or whatever, right? But I actually think that for all of us, it's just you who used to sit there. And all of your idols in your pockets, right? So you remove money as your idol, but then you still sit there. So uh, different things come into your pocket. You know what I'm saying? You and all of your idols used to sit there, you know, and you get rid of this, oh, okay, idol of popularity. Okay, I give it up, but then you still sit in there. So it's all going to come back because different desires will take over you, you know? And so the Lord used to be, yeah, for sure, it used to be us. We used to have a full control. We used to do whatever we wanted to do. We ordered our lives. However, now it's time to move out of the way. You gotta get out. If you want Jesus to be the Lord, you gotta get out. Turn to your neighbor and t- say it with sass. You gotta get out. Come on, do it. Come on, give, give them some attitude. You gotta get out, okay? See, having Jesus come in as the Lord it means that we're letting in an ultimate authority figure. Young people don't like this word, authority. This, this phrase, young people hate it. Authority figure? Not many people like this, right? But you willfully chose to let an authority figure, an ultimate authority figure in your life. You know, I... Okay, I can't see any examples. Um... Oh, so my little kingdom, right? Myung-ha's little kingdom is now God's kingdom territory. I gave it to him, right? So he, he needs to now rule, right? You know what that means practically? Practically, I'll keep it really practical. What the Bible says is more important than what, what, what I think. And that in itself is like a whole, there's like 12 sermons in there. 120 sermons in there, okay? What I think is right what I think is good is inferior to what the Word of God says. You know how inconvenient that is? You know what kind of persecution you will experience because of that? Because the world will tell you, oh, this is good. Humanity, right? Well, whatever, like, um, um, I can't give, like, dangerous examples, right? But you're all kind of thinking, you know, oh, the iffy, like the confusing topics you know that you need to be careful especially in america canada and other countries right regarding those things if you're gonna believe what the word of god says oh you're gonna be treated like a fool in your classroom people are gonna laugh at you people are gonna scoff at you and people are gonna hate you for that to the world that believes that a baby has the right to choose his or her own gender 
if you say that God created them and God chose their gender, they're going to slap you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to tell you that you cavemen go back to whatever, right? But really, that means beyond our logic, beyond our intellectualism, beyond our even sometimes education, you're going to say God's word has more authority over those things. You know what that means? When you don't agree, you got to give God's word the authority. When you don't agree, when you don't like it, it means that you're going to give God more authority than what you want to believe. Super inconvenient, let me tell you that. That also means his value is more important than your value, right? That also means his dreams over, his will over your will and your dreams. Uh, everything, God's is more important. In the Western Christianity, a lot of times God is treated like a genie in a lamp, right? Genie in a bottle. Is that a song? From Aladdin, you know? <laughs> genie in a lamp? Yeah? Bottle? Whatever, right? You know that blue monster that comes out when you rub it? The right way? Oh, is that a song? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, you rub it and then a genie, the blue monster comes out, right? Oh, master, what do you want me to do, right? A lot of people treat God like a genie, right? And then genie comes out and then genie serves you. Genie serves your wishes, right? Oh, tell me what I can do for you, right? But God is not like a genie. Do you guys know that? God's not in your life to serve your wishes. God is not in your life to serve you and what you want to do. It's actually the other way around. If anything, we are the servant for the Lord, and he's not there to serve your own interests. We got it totally mixed up. Christianity in Korea was affected by shamanism a lot. Shamans, that's what they do. You know, oh, if you have these wishes, you know, pay them this and pay them that, and then they will help you come, you know, help you with your interests or your wishes, right? And that's shamanistic belief, and it has taken over the world. And so many churches have died because of that kind of belief, treating God like their own servant to fulfill what you want. But God is not that at all. Letting Jesus be the Lord over all areas, this is a big statement that we all prayed without realizing, okay? Our entire life journey is simply the process of fulfilling our initial commitment. The commitment was made at the beginning. We all say, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to Jesus, right? And fulfilling that commitment, that promise, or that statement will take a lifetime. So we're literally trying to make our initial commitment and our promise be actualized throughout our lives. It's like how marriage vow works. What does the marriage vow say? Never done it. Tell me. What does it say? <laughs> uh, I will love you and cherish you when you are beautiful or ugly. I mean, it doesn't say that, right? In, uh, in sickness or health, in richer or poor, right? What else? What else? In what do they say? Till death do us apart. Well, whatever, right? Y'all know it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not experienced, guys. So, you know, it, it says all those things, right? But, like, the vow is made at the altar immediately as they're entering, entering into their marriage life. However, how is the vow fulfilled? Throughout your lifetime, right? It can't be fulfilled within a year. 
She may not get sick. You know, you never know, right? Or she may, you may not get poor. You may not get, you know, you experience the fulfillment of the vow as you live your life. Am I making sense? So we made a commitment. Okay, I give my life to Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. However, throughout your Christian journey, you're fulfilling that promise. Throughout the journey. So this is not about just that moment. I believe and I'm done. No, it's all about fulfilling and meaning that vow that you made throughout your journey with Christ. Letting God be the Lord in every area of my life. And that is easier said than done. Okay. This semester, which area of your life was Jesus trying to get into? How did God make you uncomfortable? If you say, if you tell me God didn't, he probably did. And you just ignored him. Okay? Because that's just what God does. And it doesn't end. I received Christ 12 years ago. 13? 12, right? And it's still continuing. I'm like discovering day by day. Maybe week by week, right? I'm discovering that, whoa, that part of me hasn't impacted Gospel hasn't hit that area of my thinking. Oh, God hasn't come into that area of emotional processing. You know, oh, that's like the old me. You know, that that area, gospel hasn't touched it. And I'm discovering, oh my goodness, there are still so many little little corners and little rooms that I haven't let Jesus come in and take his lordship in. And it's going to take a lifetime for you to let him in little by little. And the journey must continue. And it's going to continue until you and I die, all right? It's not possible to keep Jesus just on your Sundays, on your Wednesdays. It's not possible to keep him in your religion section of the life. Oh, my Sunday morning is Jesus. The rest, nah. I'm only going to let him in this much. Only to the surface level. Only my... You know, how my, how I'm put together at church. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't work. If that's your definition of Christian journey, you haven't even started the journey. He's going to dig in into every corner that you want to hide from. This semester, how did God challenge you? What corners, what rooms was God trying to get in? Did you let him in? Or were you just like shaking your head? Or you just turning, oh, I don't see it, I don't hear it, I don't want to deal with it. You know, this journey is a beautiful journey. To, you know, Apostle Paul's confession was to live is Christ. Christ will affect every area of your life. That's why it says to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Yeah? Moving on. I really think high school and college is such an important time of your life. And I hope you guys know. Early 20s and late teens, this is defining your personhood day by day. You may not know it right now, right? But day by day, the decisions that you are making, what you are thinking, the values that are being formed, the worldviews, everything is forming who you actually are. And based on what gets formed, the foundation that you form now your life will continue on, right? This is such an important time because when you are younger, you don't really make your decisions. You don't really have your values set. A lot of times you follow what your parents decide. A lot of times you just follow your family's values. But as an adult now, you guys are adults, right? Are you? All of you are, right? 
any minor in this room? <laughs> no one, right? Everybody's at least 19, right? Good to know. Okay. Okay. So we all, as adults, we are figuring out what we actually believe. We're figuring out what my beliefs and what my values are. And what's being built in you right now will really lead you into the next seasons. Your personhood. Most, you know, um, the most important thing I believe in this season, the most important thing, with no exaggeration, the most important thing that needs to be built in your life right now in this season is Lordship of Christ. Lordship of Christ. It is the fact that the Lord, I mean, Jesus is your Lord, and the Lord is Jesus, okay? That is the most important thing. The first thing you said to God, but the most important thing, I receive Jesus as my Lord. I receive Jesus as my Lord. That is so important. To you, I'll read this passage for you. Matthew chapter 7. This is actually a really scary passage. I don't preach from this often because I think there is so much at stake. But there's different translations and different interpretations as well. Matthew chapter 6. I mean, 7, verse 21, it says, this is what Jesus says, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father will, who is in heaven. Did you get that? And then all these people are like, but didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't I prophesy in your name? We did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, plainly, what scripture says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Who are you? This is such a scary picture. You know, these people are like, Jesus, we did all these things. I did all, the, all of them. Remember? Jesus said, God, I never knew you. Who are you? Right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because, like I said, oh, he's my Lord. And if you just walk away from there, where is the journey? Where is fulfillment of that vow? You know, that is like a man at the wedding altar saying that I will love her, I'll cherish her for all of these circumstances and just walking away and divorce her. What is the difference? You make the vow at the altar and your lifetime will fulfill that vow. Are you with me? Right? So you say, oh, he's my Lord. And then you walk away from the Lordship altogether. Right? That ain't your husband. You know? And it's the same thing. And in this verse, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And my question for you is really simple. Do you just call him Lord or is he really your Lord? Okay. Do you just call him Lord or is he truly your Lord? And I just want to clarify, I'm not talking about perfection. Okay. I'm not talking about perfection. I'll get to that later. But I'm not asking any of you to be perfect in your walk. That's not possible. Okay. I want, is he really your Lord? Or not, or what, right? And uh, I want, you know, many of us will say, I want him to be my Lord, but how do I do that? I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I have the intention, right? What do I do? And it's just really simple answer, okay? There's no shortcut. And it is just that we need to make that choice every day. Not just when you first believed, but every day of your journey, you just need to keep choosing Jesus to be your Lord. And that's it, right? I don't have any clever answer for you, but that is a daily choice that we need to make. Not, you know, I received Jesus to be my Lord and Savior today. You know, I received Jesus today. And that is 
our lifestyle until we die. You know, the image that I see is this. When I say, you know, I give my life to Jesus. And the image is uh, like an altar. There's an altar, right? The altar in the Bible, in the Old Testament is you kill an animal. And you put the dead animal on the altar. And then you burn it. Have you heard of burnt offerings? Right? So that is to, uh, that is to, what is it? The, to deal with your sin, right? So you impute your sin over an animal. You kill that animal and the, the animal pays for your sin, right? So that is an altar. Altar is actually a scary place. It's a place of death. You put that animal's body on that and you burn that thing, right? And then God receives it and he forgives your sin. That is the altar, okay? The image that I see is this. There's an altar, right? And you used to put a dead animal on it and burn it, right? But the Bible says that we are living sacrifice, right? In uh, Romans chapter 12, it says, Apostle Paul tells us that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Everyone say living sacrifice. So you and I are still sacrificed unto God, but we're just alive. We're not dead. We're not killed. Why? We don't have to die because Jesus died a perfect death and his blood was enough. So you and I don't need to shed no more blood. We don't have to kill any animals. Praise God, I, I hate killing animals, okay? We don't have to kill our pets or animals. The sacrifice is enough. The blood of Jesus Christ was enough. The sacrificial lamb of God, right? He paid for it so you and I can go up as an offering to God, but alive, not dead, right? So the image is this. Follow me, okay? I'm alive and a living sacrifice. I crawl up there. Oh, altar. God, I lay out my life. I lay out my life. I'm a sacrifice. I'm a gift to you, right? And then I look around. I'm bored. And I get up, right? I roll off the altar. And then I go do my own thing. And then I'm, I repent God. I come back up. I come back. I lie down. I lie down. I lie down. But that, oh, that guy cute. Uh, you know, I lie down. <laughs> you know, whatever temptations come and I roll up. And then I go do my thing and I come back. This is a problem with the living sacrifice. If we're dead, we'll just stay there. You know what I'm saying? But because you and I have legs, we're alive, we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We're like, oh, always tempted, always swayed. Because we and I are alive, we have an issue. You know, we don't stay on the altar. We always roll off and do our own thing and then come back. Are you with me? So we lie down. But then the issue is we look around and roll off, you know. But God still chose us to be the living sacrifices. No matter how many times you rolled off that altar, hey, go back. Lie there again. Go back. And that is the grace of God that covers, right? Life is a series of accidents and choices. There are things that you cannot control. Amen? Half of it, and maybe more than half. You can control it, right? Half of your life, maybe, I don't know, more or less, you can control it. It's your choices. Life is a combination of your choices, and some of it, it just happens to you. And it is navigating through those things, right? But what you cannot control, it's God's area. No need to worry about that. No need to, like, sweat about that because there's nothing you can do. But, however, the things that you can actually choose, the decisions that actually come to you, that is our responsibility to choose in daily lives, right? Are you choose, Are you going to choose Jesus? Are you going to choose? Are you going to choose God? Are you going to choose his word? Are you going to choose uh, obedience? Or are you going to let sin, let fear, let pressure determine 
your choices. You know, because uh, as adults, you're responsible for your own choices. Do you know that? It doesn't matter who pressures you to make the decision. If you make that decision, it's your decision, okay? And you and I are responsible for our, our own lives, right? And, you know, we used to make decisions based on our fear, our sin, our strongholds, our addictions, our peer pressure, parental pressure, what my mom says and dad says, what my cousin says, whatever, cultural pressure, that's hot these days, that career is worth pursuing, whatever, whatever. We used to make decisions based on all sorts of different things, right? I mean, am I the only one, right? I used to make decisions based on that all the time. And this semester, I hope that you dealt with your fear a little bit. I hope you dealt with your anxiety a little bit, did you? I hope you dealt with your strongholds and addictions and also being free from different pressures that try to talk you into making certain decisions, right? And now we're learning to make decisions that please God. You know, I, used to up, I sometimes think this. Wouldn't it be so much easier if God just makes all the decisions for me? Do you guys ever think that? God, choose my major for me. Do I do this double major or not? God, tell me who to marry. God, tell me what job I need to take, what companies to apply for, which country and city to live in. How convenient. How, whoa, whoa. Don't you think it will be so much easier? Life will be so much easier, right? Oh, you wish, right? But it never happens, right? God can control everything. Do you know that? Do you know God is sovereign? Sovereign meaning he has control over everything. Yeah? Here, you need to kind of wake up and listen and think or else you're, you're going to lose me here. But God can, and God is sovereign, but God actually, one area, God decided not to sovereignly control. Do you know what that is? That is us, our hearts. God is sovereign. He can control everything. However, he chose not to control our hearts. Why do you think God did that? We have free will, right? You and I can make decisions for what to eat for dinner, right? You and I can make a decision where to go, right? Whether to go to a logical or to a club. You just made the decision, right? Right? We have the free will to make the decision. Why do you think God has done that? Because everything else is under God's sovereign control. Why, God? Why did you give us free choices? I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it's because, don't lose me, stay. It's because God's supreme value is love. Everyone say love. God's love and love is the most important thing for God. And if love is programmed like a robot will, right? Do you think, I, 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 it doesn't matter what you think. Like love loses its meaning when it's programmed or controlled. Love has to be intentional. Love has to be a choice. I choose to love you, not anyone else. I choose to buy you this flower by choice. It has to be a choice. If a robot comes to you and gives you a birthday flower, but it was programmed to give you a flower on your 23rd birthday, you're not going to feel loved at all. Because there's no will, there's no choice, there's no choosing to love you. It's just programmed. Robots, you know? That's why you cannot fall in love with robots. These days there's dramas about falling in love with, you know? Don't believe that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> right? Um, that's why God gave us free will. You know God's love language? What God's love language is? I'm sure he receives love in different ways. People receive love in different ways. What's my love language? I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> different people receive love in different ways. Words. Well, some people are big on words. Birthday cards matter more than gifts. Some people receive love through physical touch, right? You give them a hug, it makes their day, right? And the way you want to receive love 
sometimes you need to love them the way they want to be loved, right? If Sojong doesn't feel loved by a gift at all, and if I just keep buying her things, it's not going to mean anything to her, right? Active service, then I need to do the dishes for you and carry your bags for you, whatever, right? And so you need to love the person's love language to love the person well. You with me, right? God's love language, I will, I will give you a secret. This is God's love language according to scripture. It's obedience. It sounds so unromantic, right? But God's so not romantic. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. And God's like, I'll feel so loved. And we can't tell God you're not romantic or whatever. God does whatever he does, okay? Anyone who loves me will obey my word. John 14, 23. This is God's love language. And God says, when you obey me, when you trust me and obey my word, that's what makes me feel loved. More than a hug, more than whatever. When you obey me, I feel so loved. And let God be God, right? That's God's love language. And obedience, everybody, is a choice. If obedience was automatic, it would lose all of its meaning. When we don't have a choice to choose between sin and obedience, and we are always programmed to choose just obedience, obedience, automatic, obedience, obedience, right? We're robots. Then it means nothing to God. It means nothing to God, right? And God didn't want a bunch of robots to just automatically, I obey you, I obey you. <laughs> you know, that means nothing to God. God wanted us to struggle. Man, this fruit looks so good, but God told me not to. I choose you, God. That means the whole world to God's heart. God's going to be, you are loving me, right, girl? Right? That means the whole world to me because you're choosing to obey. Love is a choice. Obedience is always a choice. That's why God gave us a free will. That's why he chose not to be sovereign, controlling God over our hearts. So that we can bless his heart. So that we can choose to obey him, choose to love him, and choose to do it in his ways. And that will mean the whole world to him. Come on, guys. That is amazing. That's why God gave us free will. So choosing God, do you understand now? It means so much to him. When you choose him, when you choose obedience, oh, that means so much to him. You are loving God well. When you choose wisdom, when you choose love, when you choose forgiveness, when you choose what will Jesus do, that means a lot to God's heart. And that is what I'm talking about. Not just choosing God at the beginning of a Christian journey and that's it. But on daily basis, I'm going to choose God. God, today I give you my life. God, today you're my Lord. God, today I move away from my throne and I'll let you sit there for every decision that I make. God, as I'm rolling out of my bed, God, my life today is yours. That choice blesses his heart and you're loving God well. It's meant to be a daily thing, not a once in a lifetime I'm done with the Lordship. This is a daily struggle. And you know what? I end with this. Along the way, let me tell you, I'm let me prophesy this. You will fail. Prophecy received, it will be fulfilled, okay? <laughs> you will make mistakes before this weekend. <laughs> right? You will choose the wrong things. We'll try our best. We will give our best intentions to God. God, today is yours. We'll do all of that. However, let me tell you, you'll fail. I will fail. We will disappoint God. Things will not go according to the rosy, perfect picture. We'll choose wrong things. We will often live like God is not in our lives. We will often feel ashamed about what we did. 
I called Jesus my Lord, but I totally failed. I totally messed up. I did something, man, I don't want to tell anybody. I feel so ashamed. We will fall into that. Good news. Good news. If you are like me and if you fail in being perfectly obeying God all the time and having Him as the Lord, here's the good news. That is why He's my Lord and Savior. Everyone say Savior. He is not just a Lord, but He's my Savior. I am not saved by my own performance. Praise God. I'm not saved for my good works. Praise God. I'm not saved based on my perfect record of keeping his obey, I mean, uh, command. Praise God. I am saved by his grace. I am saved by his perfect obedience on the cross. When I mess up every other day, my perfect Jesus Christ, he didn't mess up once. He went to the cross. He chose love. He chose obedience. He chose God at all times. He was my perfect Lord and his righteousness is mine. That's why it's a good news. He's my Lord, yes, but he's also my Savior. You and I are never going to be saved by keeping the law. You and I will never be saved on perfect grace and perfect actions and perfect relationships. You and I will certainly fail. However, we have the Lord. We have his cross. We have his perfect life where he has never once messed up. That has been my righteousness. And I'll confess, yes, you're my Lord today, but also you're my Savior today. Jesus, you're my Savior today. Not based on what I do, but based on what you have done. I am saved by your grace. Everyone, do you call him just Lord or is he your Lord today? Do you just call him Savior or is he truly your Savior today? We must have him be our Lord and Savior at all times. And this journey, this reminder will never end. I was praying, God, there are some students going home. What do I want to do? What do I want to say to them? What will be my like farewell sermon to them, right? And this is the word that God put on my heart, that it's a daily thing. It's not going to be one joy large group will fix everything. It's a daily thing. Tell them to be reminded that I am their Lord and I am their Savior. And this journey will never end, but this will be a good worthwhile journey and I will never leave them I will never forsake them because I chose them I will be their Lord and Savior forever and wherever you are the Lord will be your Lord and Savior students I want you to be encouraged by this word I want everyone to just stand where you are please team I invite you up My daily choice is continuing. This isn't just work for students. This is a work for everyone in this room. I don't care who you are. This is a work for me. This is a work for someone who has been Christian for 50 years. This is for you. Is he the Lord today? Are you choosing to let him be the Lord and move out of the way today? If you get this today, and if you will live a life of choosing him on a daily basis, I can send you all, all home with peace, knowing the Lord's going to take care of this, right? I just want us to take the time to make a confession. I remember when I was a student, there was a sermon that my Indian 
Indian pastor preached. I still remember that moment. He preached the word very similar to this. And he gave us an opportunity. And he said, the altar is set apart. We made it clear. Hey, guys, the altar is set apart. And he challenged us. If this is your confession today that the Lord, Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, I want you to come forth to a sacred altar as a living sacrifice you come figuratively lie down not like lie down right <laughs> but he said if that is your confession today and if that is your intention because let me tell you when we do open when I open up an altar like this right everyone's kind of like hesitant oh I may say this today but I may mess up tomorrow but that's why I'm telling you he's your Lord but he's also your Savior you're not going to be judged based on your mistakes. It's your heart that the Lord is looking for. Heart of surrender. The sermon I still remember, the sermon title was Sweet Surrender. And it was truly a sweet moment when I went forth and made that commitment once again. And on day one, I told God, God, you, I receive you into my heart. On day one, I promised to God, you are my Lord and my Savior. And it was my third year I was already walking with him. But the sweet reminder and the daily reminder of you are still and you will always be my Lord and Savior. Giving that fresh surrender to the Lord was so free. It was so powerful. And I still remember that moment. And tonight I want to do the same thing. The altar, I'm going to open it up. And I'm not calling up people who want to receive prayer. I'm just giving you an opportunity as a living sacrifice. Come to the altar and open your arms and tell God, God, I choose you to be my Lord today. God, I choose you to be my Savior today. And it is just simply the gospel that I'm preaching about. It is purely the gospel. I'm not sure when you guys first confessed that. I don't know what your story is, but the Lord knows your story. And tonight, I want there to be sweet surrender just going up to God. God, have your way in me. God, have your way in me. God, my life is yours and have your way in me. We're just going to take some time to worship and the altar is open. If you want to just give the fresh surrender to the Lord, I want you to just feel free to come forth. Come forth and give Him that fresh commitment of His Lordship in your life.